0: you are listening to the Australian Breastfeeding Podcast, where everyday girls let you in on their breastfeeding journeys, and I will unpack all things breastfeeding. I'm your host, Susie Prout, a midwife and lactation consultant. Let's get into it. Hello everyone, and thank you for tuning in to episode seven of the Australian Breastfeeding Podcast. So today I have Carly Smith here with me. And Carly is a mum of two living in Melbourne and is also a birth doula. She runs her private doula business where she supports mums-to-be throughout pregnancy, birth and postnatally. And you can find her on Instagram at carlysmith.doula and also www.carlysmith.com. But I will put both of those handles in the descriptions. You can easily find her by looking into that. Now, there are a few reasons why I asked Carly to join me on the podcast today. So being a breastfeeding podcast, I'm obviously keen to hear Carly share her two breastfeeding stories with us today, but I wanted to explore breastfeeding a little differently this episode. I'm also going to ask Carly for her thoughts on why our breastfeeding rates in Australia are dropping so fast within the first three months after birth. They are fantastic at birth and then when we get to three months they've dropped a huge amount and Carly supports women postnatally and therefore she probably has some insights into the current struggles new mums are experiencing right in that fourth trimester and she will hopefully share some of her wisdom there as well. So Carly is an amazing person to follow on social media because she's had over a decade of experience working in the human rights sector on an international level. And so she's brought that knowledge with her into her birth work, meaning she's really offering kind of hardcore support in areas of emotional, physical, personal, and spiritual health to help her clients find their flow. So Carly, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy life to chat with me.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I am really excited to chat about this. It's not something I've really delved into too much, on my social media. So I'm really excited to, yeah, go in deep with you on all things breastfeeding and birth. Oh, awesome. Okay. So can you start
0: by telling me briefly how your birth went with your first baby, Zoe, who I believe is now four and a half? Because obviously yes. our birth experiences are going to affect breastfeeding and so on.
1: Yes, absolutely. So Zoe, I was... 40 weeks and six days when I was induced with Zoe or who would be Zoe. I didn't know she was Zoe at the time. Mm. I had gestational diabetes in that pregnancy. So I was strongly advised to have an induction, which if I had known now what I knew then, yeah, this is four and a half years ago, I probably would have declined (laughs) at that point or at least delayed, postponed that. So, But the actual birth was good. So I went in on a Friday or a Thursday. Was it Thursday or Friday? I think it was a Friday afternoon, one o'clock in the afternoon. I had the prostaglandin gel was the first thing they used to start the induction process, which is a hormonal gel they apply to your cervix to, with the aim of dilating you to one or two centimeters enough to artificially rupture your membranes, break your waters. So I had that applied twice over a span of a few hours and the last one was at 9pm in the evening and shortly after I began having some sort of period style cramps and by this point my husband or my partner at the time, husband now, had gone home from the hospital because they don't anticipate you to go into labour. But for me, it did kick off labor. So within sort of 20 minutes, I had these cramps, which becoming more and more intense as the hours went by. But I didn't realize because they had kind of said, this is not going to start labor. So I did not realize that these cramps were in fact contractions (laughs) and that I was in early labor. And by the time I kind of said to a midwife who came in to check on me, look, I'm feeling really uncomfortable. I've been up and down. I just feel like I want to be sitting on the toilet. I'm not quite sure what's going on. And they said, no, no, it'll just be the, the prostaglandin doing its thing. It's definitely not labor. And when we were having this conversation, I was standing up next to the bed and then some water started to trickle down my leg. And I kind of was like, Oh, well, what's this? And she mm-hmm. said, Oh, that's your, your water's <laughs> mm-hmm. breaking. And by this point I was kind of like, okay, well, what do we do now? This was about four or five in the morning. So I'd been on my own for six or seven hours laboring, yeah. not realizing I was laboring. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, I was like, do you need to break my waters now? And she's like, no, no, they're, they're doing it themselves. So no, we don't need to. And at that point I just burst into tears because I was so afraid of what was to come the following morning because I'd heard all the horror stories about induction. Oh, and yeah. I was, I was terrified of being on the Syntosin drip. drip. <laughs> And although they had made it all seem very pedestrian and very normal, I knew from my own research that it was not, and I was not at all looking forward to the following morning. And so I really broke down because I was so relieved that I wouldn't have to go through that process. They said, yeah, we'll just keep an eye on you and see how things progress, but we don't think you're going to need anything. And so I called my husband to come back the hospital and he didn't answer the phone. He was at home sleeping. We live sort of 10 minutes from the hospital. And then for some reason, I just texted him, come now, <laughs> as if that was going to be more effective than a phone call. But uh, <laughs> anyway, by the time he got there, they had moved me into a delivery room and offered a vaginal exam, which I accepted and found that I was about five centimeters dilated. And then at that point, they it had been my hind King waters. And so they ruptured the ones that were sitting sort of right on top of my cervix in between baby's head and the cervix and so a big gush of fluid and then it was on then they were really really intense contractions and back to back and so I labored for about another three hours before then I suddenly said to my midwife who was amazing they tell you to you should wee while you're in labor and I haven't I think I've weed so maybe I'll get on the toilet and do a wee she's like yeah yeah go for it So I hopped in the loo and I was like, I don't need to do a wee, but I feel like I need to push. And she's like, just go with it. Just go with whatever your body's saying. And so I sat there and pushed like kind of involuntarily. That word is not coming out right. You know (laughs) what I mean? My body did it without me controlling anything. Yes. For for like some really good intense contractions. And then midwife came over and sort of checked me and she's like, okay, you don't want to have your baby on the toilet and I can see the head. So let's move to the the room now. Oh, wow. So I kind of waddled back over with this coconut between my legs to the bed and sort of hopped up on all fours, which is how I had wanted to birth. But then her heart rate was dropping a little in between contractions, which they weren't super happy with, which I kind of at the time just went with. So they needed me to flip onto my back, which was comfortable. It wasn't too bad. And within just a few, I think it was 15 minutes of pushing Of kind of active pushing along with what my body was already doing. She was out and and that was pretty amazing. So she was born at about 8.30 in the morning. So it was about an 11 hour labor and it was a really great experience. I didn't have any artificial pain relief, any pharmaceuticals at all. They had offered me pethidine at one point to bomb me out so that I could sleep. And I was like, no, I'm too uncomfortable to sleep. I don't mm-hmm. think sleep is going to happen. Yeah. And I didn't want that form of drug anyway. Yeah. And so I just kind of got on with it and got in the zone and stayed active and wasn't on the bed at all until the end there. So it was a great yeah. experience. And I just you know, burst into tears straight away and just was like, when can I do it again? And <laughs> I, I know not everyone says that. They usually <laughs> say the opposite. But, yeah, it was just a really wonderful great yeah pretty mind-blowing experience for me yeah and I think that you
0: essentially you beat the system because you were going down this yeah intervention route cascade and you kind of bypassed it <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I was so happy with my body. Yeah, like, yeah, go girl. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yep. I think as for yeah. a first time mum, it's, yeah, it's, it's not often heard. It's, it's always, yep. you know, the other way. It's not often the way you've, de- you've described it. So that's funny.
1: Yeah. 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 And they kind of said to me, it almost, almost never kicks off labour just having that gel. Yes. They're like, oh, it happens to almost no one. And I was like, okay, <laughs> well, I guess I was the almost no one. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that was great.
0: Awesome. And so now that Zoe's born, mm. can you describe those first, you know, first day or the first couple of days before your milk yeah. came in? So while you're still at the hospital,
1: yeah. in skin, skin, or how she latched? Yeah. Yeah, I had been expressing colostrum from about 37 weeks. I was actually part of a clinical trial that was running at the time that was looking at the benefits of pregnant people with gestational diabetes doing that and then having that colostrum available to give to baby if their blood sugars were low after birth. And so that was actually, in hindsight, I think that was the thing that set me up the best for my breastfeeding experience was actually getting to know my breasts in sort of the month preceding the birth and and seeing the milk coming out, the colostrum coming out and knowing that my body was already doing it and that there was already milk there and that that was then not a thought that I had to overcome once baby arrived. And so she came straight up onto my chest, skin to skin. I was in pretty much in the nude anyway. And she stayed there for several hours. We did all delayed measuring and weighing and all that kind of stuff. That was like explicit in our plan. And so she stayed there for ages and she latched on probably within half an hour or so. I didn't do the breast crawl because I didn't know that was a thing then. But a midwife just helped me to get her in position. And she fed really well from the start. Then, by about the second day, she had developed jaundice, and that was probably because we have differing Mm. blood groups. So, I'm O positive and she's B positive, and I've heard that that can impact jaundice. So, then she had to go under the lights in the box, the phytotherapy box, which they brought into our room. We had a private room at the public hospital, and Then it became a little more difficult to have sort of continuous skin to skin at that point because she had to be in there for so many hours in the day and could only come out for about 45 minutes, which was about how long it was taking her to feed. Yeah. So for probably, it was about 36 hours that she was in there in the end. So that time was a little stressful because it was kind of like, okay, you need to feed quickly because you need to go back in under the light. So that was kind of stressful in the first few days. yeah Um, yeah. but we got through that and the midwives were really supportive of just continuing to breastfeed and not pumping any formula into her or anything like that to push the jaundice along they were like no your breast milk will do it so that was good and did you use any so when you
0: were antenatally expressing did you have had you frozen some colostrum from beforehand that you gave to her
1: yep she probably only had one or two syringes worth, so maybe like 10 mils in total. And yeah. that was really just like, not that she needed topping up, but that was really, they just kind of did it a little bit after when she first went under the lights just to keep it up a bit more. But other than that, I think we brought it home with us. Yeah, so she didn't really have much. She, I gave her some at times where she didn't really get sick or anything, but just when I knew there was a bug around or someone had been over with a cold or something, I would just give yeah. her a bit of... <laughs> the stored colostrum yeah. um, but other than that we didn't have to use it and all her blood sugar levels were fine so she never needed it for that
0: yeah 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 no it's yeah. great I mean it's such a I recommend it to all my ladies I think there's some, yeah. this is some colostrum you know put it in the eyes if they've got sticky eyes They're just so yeah many
1: exactly with it. <laughs> for sure and yeah. it's just like a great shot of good bugs and yeah everything for them yeah absolutely
0: and so then you came home with Zoe and then did your milk then come in when you're at home? And did was it like one of those overnights and you wake up and your milk's there or was it great? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, my milk came in at 48 hours. So okay. I was still in hospital. We were there for five days in the end with her treatment. So yeah, that was pretty full on. I was very engorged quite quickly. I had an oversupply not just for a few days, like while it was regulating, it was like weeks and weeks of oversupply, right. which is a, you know, a blessing and a curse to have. Yes, yeah. But once you manage it, it's fine. But yeah, so my milk well and truly came in and then it was sort of another learning curve on how to manage very engorged breasts. Yeah. Uh, at night I was just soaking the sheets. I was like feeling like I needed to wake her up because I was just like bursting. Yeah. So that was fun (laughs) (laughs) those few weeks but yeah it came in relatively quickly like within the normal range I guess but yeah it wasn't delayed at all
0: okay which was good
1: yeah yeah so did you have any
0: little tips and tricks to get you through those few Mm. weeks of of yeah yeah huge supply For sure.
1: Yeah. So my biggest thing one night, I remember she was seven days old and we had friends over for dinner. I'm not sure why, (laughs) but anyway, they brought dinner. It was great. It was lovely to see them, but I ended up in tears in like the back room of our house trying to feed her because she wouldn't latch on and my boobs were huge. And I was like, what is going on? And I remember calling the Australian Breastfeeding Association at that point and being like, what do I do? Like I'm rock hard. I'm in so much pain and not like mastitis pain, but just like full pain and she just won't get on. And yeah. and they had the best couple of tricks, which were to just squeeze a little off like hand express before feeding her. Yeah. Just like to get that really intense let down amount of milk out first. First, And yeah. that just did wonders because then by the time she latched on, she wasn't going to be flooded with the letdown, which was great. And then the other hot tip that I had used from them was about block feeding. So only feeding one breast per feed instead of doing both because I would put her on the opposite breast for the feed within the feed, the one feed, and then she would just bring all of that back up. And so after like two or three feeds, I was like, why? I don't understand this. So I called them again and they're like, just try doing one breast per feed. And so I did that and that was great. And that really helped to regulate my supply even more because then, I mean, I was demand feeding anyway, but then each side just was able to refill a bit slower <laughs> yeah. and then I wasn't left with such engorgement each time and she wasn't and then she never vomited from that point onward like not even a small amount of spit up or anything so those few days where she was doing it was just because mm. she was just getting way too much
0: yeah no that's and for girls listening who possibly going through oversupply or are going to go through oversupply those two tricks yeah they just yeah, really good. And, yes, softening your breast a bit with the bit of expressing at the yeah. beginning just to get them on is fantastic.
1: And did you find... Yeah, she um, couldn't even, like, the nipple was so hard that she couldn't even get her mouth, like, in the right spot because it was just like,
0: you yeah. know, what
1: would you compare it to, like, trying to drink water out of the bottom of the glass? like it's, it's Yes, like yes. A, yeah, it just didn't, like, it was way too hard. Yeah, no. It was no,
0: for her to, yeah. Absolutely. And did you find that, did you have any problems with like really frothy kind of baby poo being
1: mm. affected
0: by a high milk or fore milk imbalance or not?
1: No, not really. No. Once I kind of got those few days under control with the block feeding. No, I didn't. I didn't. And okay, I don't please. know if I even noticed it beforehand or because she was throwing it up so, so yeah. quickly. Yeah. yeah. So I never really, she never really had any gut problems at all. No, that's that's great. It sounded like the not feeding kind of
0: solved a lot of your problems. which is is Yeah, it did. And then you got to about five or six weeks and Zoe started to Mm. get a little bit fussy. So can you talk us through what happened there?
1: Yeah, she just started to, it wasn't anything too alarming, but she just was, yeah, starting to fuss, like not wanting to sort of be on the breast or coming off after just a couple of minutes and sort of being upset and I don't remember being in any pain but I did drop into like local breastfeeding clinic like you know the one run through the council yeah and I just dropped in there and just you know they watch you have a feed and they look at the baby and she thought that she might have a tongue tie which at the time I wasn't overly familiar with but I trusted her sort of advice on it and so the next day booked in it a GP that she recommended who did them in a clinic nearby who like snipped the tie. And so we did that the following day. And I don't really know if, I mean, I probably would have taken a little more time to make that decision in hindsight. I mean, it's fine. You know, she's okay, but yeah, I'm not sure if that's what it was. I don't know if it really resolved anything or if it was just a fussy period. I don't know. It improved maybe like slightly, but not significantly. And I didn't have any nipple damage or anything like that, that you hear of with really intense tongue tie experiences. But yeah, I guess it passed shortly after. And mm-hmm. I, but I don't know if I'm, if I can attribute it to that or not. If it was great, that's fine. If not, then yeah, it just, it was what it was. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's so yeah. tricky when it's the first time and you don't know. Yeah. And so you're like, yeah, you just get it. You know, you go with it and now we're learning so much. Yeah. About tongue ties and Oh, there's mm-hmm. just, there's still so much, there's still so much mm. unknown about them, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So then, I mean, you had a really successful breastfeeding journey from then on, really, mm. as you were saying, and mm-hmm. you yeah. went back to work at about, I was always 12 months old? Yeah. 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 And so how did you go with navigating that and her, and her still Yeah.
1: Feed? She was a very emotional, emotionally attached with breastfeeding. So not like an emotional feeder, but... <laughs> Not like she went to the, you know, to the chocolate every time or whatever, but she just, <laughs> uh-huh. she was very much attached to breastfeeding, which was great, fine. So I was worried about how she'd go. So I was due originally to go back to work at about 10, 10 and a half months, but I delayed it because I just thought, no, there's no way she can be away from me for eight hours and not breastfeed. Yeah. There was just like, I was like, no, we have to give it a couple more months. So over that time, I... When she got to about 11 and a half, maybe months, I night weaned her just to, well, mostly, yeah, she was waking a lot to feed at night, which is very normal. But with my circumstance being that I needed to be able to function at work on that amount of disturbed sleep, I knew it wasn't going to happen. So I made the call to night wean her just to see if it would improve her sleep and it did. And she was fine with it. We did it very gently, very slowly and we communicated a lot about it, which I think is really important. Yeah. And then I would express at work a couple of times during the day. I was only at work, how many days was it at that point? Two or three? I went back two days and then built up to three days over a month or two. So it was only two days out of the week that yeah, I was just expressing at work and I would just give that to her carers in a cup and she would just drink that wherever she was. As She had oh, one nice. day at her grandparents and one day at childcare. So yeah, they would just give it to her on those days when the other kids were having whatever bottle they were having. Yeah. So she still got to drink it. But yeah, that worked pretty well. The hardest thing probably was finding the right place at my workplace to be able to breastfeed. And I think that's a hurdle that a lot of working mums come up against is there's just not a private space to do it. And so I would do it in the sick bay and lock the door and put it in like a paper bag in the fridge. So, yeah, it was kind of funny. But, yeah, but that worked. And she still then on the other days still just fed on demand. So it was fine. We just sort of got into a rhythm with it. And she knew that if I wasn't around, then there was – milk in a cup I guess <laughs> yeah and that's
0: the thing they work out you know when you're not there it's okay mm. but as soon as you're back isn't it back on yeah
1: yeah yeah exactly Hi, boobs yeah <laughs> yeah
0: exactly yeah pretty oh, well, much that, that sounds really good and so when did yeah. you then wean her completely and was it
1: your choice her mm. choice together it was kind of a mix. So she weaned completely at about 22 months. And it was funny because originally, you know, people were kind of be like, how long are you going to feed her? I was like, oh, I don't know. Because when I was pregnant, I did some good research. Well, actually the best book I read, um, I only read one book on breastfeeding, which no one does anyway, but oh, I yeah. read Ina May Gaskin's Guide to Breastfeeding because I had yes. read her Guide to Childbirth, which really resonated with me yeah. and yeah. so good. And so what was really cool was understanding the mechanics of it beforehand. But at this point, I was still thinking, I guess six months is when you breastfeed you. Like no one had really told me and there weren't a lot of other women breastfeeding to natural term around me. And so I didn't really even understand what that was or how long you should breastfeed for. And so my kind of goal was six months and then we'll see how we go, which, you know, I know is not, you know, it's really, it's 12 and then two and beyond, but yeah. so we just sort of kept going. And then at that point, I had fallen pregnant and it became like she, I think, sensed a change in the hormones going within me. And right. I kind of felt a little bit funny and my my supply dropped a bit. And and then she just sort of naturally weaned at that time. And at that time, she was having like one feed in the morning, waking up and one at bedtime. So it wasn't. And I think she dropped the nighttime one first from memory. okay, And then sort of one morning, she just didn't anymore. And that was sort of like, so it was quite a slow process, but yeah, it was definitely triggered by a pregnancy.
0: Yeah. 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 Mm. yeah.
1: And it's funny how all
0: of a sudden you've been feeding for all this time and then they just stop and it, it does kind of, it, I don't know, some people can find it quite emotional some people not, but it certainly is a strange feeling, I think when it's all over. Yeah.
1: And I think like we were both ready. Mm. It wasn't upsetting for either of us, but yeah. But, you know, it was still, I wasn't like done, like get off me. <laughs> yeah. um, but I was also kind of like, yeah, okay, that part of our relationship is over and we still have, you know, lots of other moments absolutely of course but yeah. Um, yeah yeah
0: it was a great experience oh that's that's really nice to hear mm. and, and she so,
1: still talks about it oh I don't know oh, mom so when so I had boob because now she's been <laughs> her brother have it and <laughs> oh, we'll be in the bath and she'll be like can I have some milk I'm like no sweetie <laughs> but, um, yeah <laughs> yeah, closed. Yeah. Um, yeah exactly yeah and so then we'll move on to Jack's birth
0: now and so Jack is yeah. 18 months old yeah So can you describe how that went? And also, were you a birth doula or studying to be one by this point? Mm, No, at this point, I don't
1: think I even knew what a doula was still. Ah. (laughs) Yeah. So I went into spontaneous, I didn't have gestational diabetes with him. So I went into spontaneous labor at 40 plus six days and I had about 24 hours of early labor. So just very sort of every 10 minute contractions that I woke up to at 2am one morning. And I was so excited. As soon as I felt it, I knew what it was. I was like, yay, today might be the day. So I just continued to rest until about seven. Zoe came into our room and my husband woke up and I just kind of said, I don't think you should go to work today. I've been having contractions since Mm -hmm. 2am. He's like, why didn't you wake me? I was like, well, because you need to be rested so you you can do all the things for me. Yes. I just labored at home. We went for a walk down to the beach and got breakfast and we just cruised. Like it was a really crazy day. I had had acupuncture booked in on that day anyway for one o'clock in the afternoon. So I went to that and just continued sort of contracting throughout that time. I picked up a chai from the cafe next door and they were like, Oh, baby must be coming soon. I was like, well, <laughs> I'm in labor. That <laughs> so was fun. Um, and then my water started to leak slowly when I got home from okay. acupuncture. Yeah. So probably about two thirty in the afternoon. My guy's amazing. Just message me if anyone needs um, someone to help you get some acupuncture to break your water. Um, <laughs> And then and then I just yeah, I continued at home, but then by about four in the afternoon and we sort of set up contingencies for that evening for Zoe, if and when we needed to go to the hospital. So, we'd organized some family to come over and be with her because I had this thing about her not leaving the house. I don't know why. I just felt really like I need to know where she is. And if she's at anyone else's house, I'm not going to know, like, if they've taken her out somewhere or whatever. So, she just needs to be at home. Yeah. I don't know. It was like a weird thing for me that I really needed control over so that I could let go and just be like, she's safe, she's fine. Yeah. Anyway, so, but it got to about four in the afternoon and I realized that I hadn't felt the baby move in a little while, like, I couldn't quite remember the last time. So I laid down to rest and I couldn't even get it to move. Like I didn't, we didn't know as a boy at this point and I was pushing it around, like, you know, and you can sort of push it around and it'll kick back at you and sort of nothing. And I was like, okay, we need to go into the hospital and get checked. So my, a good friend of mine who lives a few streets away came over until our family member could come later in the evening. And we straight away went to hospital for monitoring. And he was fine. He was just sleeping, they thought. But all his traces looked really good. And so they said, yes, it is your waters that are leaking. You're definitely better off to be laboring at home, which I agreed with. I didn't want to stay there yet. Yeah. So they're like, don't worry though. We think you'll be back tonight anyway. So just go home and have dinner and go to bed. I was like, great. So I went (laughs) home, had pea and ham soup, which I'd cooked that day on the stove and with some toast and hopped into bed. Probably about eight, eight or nine. And then just rested, slept in between contractions, which was sort of around seven minutes apart, I guess, by this stage. Very manageable still. Like I was just breathing through them each time. So, and I wasn't tired. I wasn't exhausted. I'd been keeping up my food and my fluids all day. So I was very energized still. I wasn't like depleted. So I laid down to rest. And then at about, probably around two or three in the morning, I started needing to get out of bed to manage each contraction. So I'd get out, stand okay. on the side of the bed, sway my hips and like really concentrate on breathing and then get back into bed. And then five <laughs> minutes later, get up and do it all again. And this kind of went on for some time. And then I went to the toilet and just noticed a little bit of blood, nothing, no like gushes, like literally a couple of spots and just kind of went, okay, maybe it's time to go back in. And so I woke up my husband and we crept out of the house at about probably 4.30 in the morning, got to the hospital and they popped us on the monitor again in the exam room and baby was fine and she was kind of like, you look a little uncomfortable, let's just see where you're at and then decide if you need to come back to be induced tomorrow. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. But they're like, can we, can we examine you? I was like, yes, that's fine. So she did an exam and I was eight centimetres. And I was like, yeah, I told you I was feeling a bit uncomfortable. Like, she's like, I wouldn't have picked it. You were just, you know, just kind of hanging out. (laughs) And so then at that point, she also ruptured, again, my four waters. And then, yeah, I needed to stand up after that and really manage each contraction. Yeah, I can imagine. um, Quite with a lot of concentration. Yeah. So I literally walked down the hall to the delivery room, got straight up on the bed on all fours, like, with my, I'm sort of drooped over the back. Like, you know, when they put the bed in like a, what would be the shape? You know, when they raise the head of it and the foot is dropped down. So you can yeah. Be on your kneeling. Yeah. Kneeling is the word yeah. I'm looking for. Yeah, And I had planned on having a water birth. And so I had said to them, like, can you run the bath? They're like, yeah, it's fine. It takes 20 minutes. So we'll just wait. We'll put it on now, which they did. And then, and then after a few minutes, I was like, look, I'm really like, I'm really feeling a lot of pressure. Like how much longer is the bath going to be? And they're like, oh, it's still, you know, 15 minutes off. Like, can you just check me? Like, can you just check and just, just look like, don't touch me. Just look. (laughs) And they had a look and she was like, yeah, you're not going to make the bath. And so (laughs) in like three minutes he was born. It was like, it was like two, maybe three strong pushes with contractions at that time. And he just came out and I picked him up off the bed and saw that he was a boy. And I was like, it's a boy. And, and they sort of, you know, helped me flip over onto my back so I could sit up without tangling the umbilical cord all around my legs. Mm -hmm. And, and then he stayed there again for like another three or four hours. No one touched him. And it was a very different feeling with Zoe. I was very in love straight away, like overwhelmed by like, like this love at first sight. Oh my gosh, you're incredible. But with him, it was very different because I think I'd already had a really big emotional release, like not 20 minutes before that I'd had a really big cry. And yeah. so when he was born, it was sort of like, Oh, Hey, here you are. I know you. Like it was, it was much more familiar with him than what it was with her.
0: Yeah. And no, so I know what you mean, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. And then we just hung out and he, he latched on pretty quickly as well. They wanted him to latch on quickly because I had, opted to have a physiological management of the third stage where you allow the placenta to come naturally without having an injection of artificial hormone to force the placenta out. And so they wanted, they were really keen for him to latch on very quickly so that it could maintain the oxytocin levels for that to happen. So there was a little bit more pressure on him, (laughs) not coming from me. I was sort of happy to go with it, but anyway. Yeah. So he was another quick feeder as well. Yeah. that was a That's a, story. that's
0: a beautiful birth story <laughs> there. That's, that's fantastic. Mm. So, so yeah. And so obviously another easy kind of really lovely breastfeeding experience that you have and still having yeah. with, with him.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You mm. find that you were a lot more confident the second time around. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I was heaps more confident. Yeah. And just, um, cause I even, had done it for like,
1: yeah, ages.
0: Yes, yes, yes. And even like
1: in terms of demand feeding, did it change Mm. between the two? Yeah, it did. I still demand fed him, but with Zoe, I was keeping track on an app. (laughs) So I was very like in my head with the numbers, watching her feeds, how long she was feeding for, which brush she was feeding from, all that kind of thing. I just abandoned that completely with him and just watched him rather than all of that. And that was really liberating just to be like, Oh yeah I don't know which bib I fed from last let me just feel them and check <laughs> like rather than checking the app yeah so and who cares how long he's feeding for like he'll stop when he's done and so or when he last fed like I you know never let it go well pretty long but yeah it was different it was just a lot more relaxed and yeah I just sort of went with it a little more
0: Yeah, yeah yeah, yeah. that's Often it, and then it often just kind of, you you think, oh my gosh, it's, it's just worked. And I haven't even thought about the last few months and somehow they're nourished.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And my supply regulated a lot quicker with him. I don't know if, if like, this is a common thing with mums I'm not sure where subsequent baby is just like, your body's like, oh yeah, that's right. We know how this actually works in terms of demand and supply so within a week, like i I probably had two days of engorgement and that was it when my milk came in, it came in at 24 hours. So pretty quickly. And then, yeah, with, by the end of the first week, like my boobs were totally soft and I was kind of like, Oh, have I got low supply? But he was like piling on the weight and everything. So there was no supply concerns at all, but, no. but yeah, like it felt very different. My body just remembered and got into a much, I was like, thanks boobs. I don't have to wash the sheets every day this time. Yeah. And it's really interesting when a lot of girls, new
0: mums will think that they have to have these engorged boobs spilling everywhere Mm. to have enough milk. But as you just said, you don't have to have that at all.
1: No. And I was reassured when I, I had a friend at the time who had, we were due at the same time and she had her baby a couple of weeks before. And we were talking a lot and I was like, how are your boobs? Like this was her third girl, and she's like, "They're totally soft." I don't know what's going on. I was like, "Okay, me too. We're good." Like, <laughs> so yeah. yeah. She was like, "No, this time they're like, yeah, way soft." It's like, "Great."
0: Oh, that yeah, no, that's really cool. And yeah. so also interestingly, you have mentioned to me before that you feel that maybe your calorie intake seemed to be related mm-hmm. to your milk supply with Jack. So can you explain that? Yeah,
1: yeah. I it's such conflicting advice that you hear that. You just like eat to your appetite, of course, but that your milk is not impacted by how much you're eating. It's kind of the messaging I was getting for many years. Yes. And, you know, you would even have people saying to you, maternal health nurses saying, look at the people in, you know, developing countries, those women barely eat anything and they're breastfeeding their plump babies. And I was like, okay, that's quite, not quite right, but okay, we'll go with it. <laughs> they're very malnourished. But anyway, yes. and so not all of them, you know what I mean? I know. And, yeah, yeah. 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 There was one point where his weight, I don't, can't remember how old he was, maybe four months or something. I had just started to pull back what I was eating. I was just kind of like, okay, I need to stop eating like four pieces of bread with peanut butter after 7pm. You know what I mean? Like I was like, okay, it's time. just uh, I wasn't having any like huge things around losing baby weight. I don't believe in any of that. Like it wasn't anything to do with that. I just was, kind of felt like I was eating too much. And so I just pulled it back and I just like stopped with the cake with coffee and I just had coffee instead of coffee and cake every day. I was like, okay, this is not healthy. And so I'm enjoying it, but it's not necessarily super healthy to have this amount of sugar every morning anyway. And so I did that for like, I don't know, not very long. And at his next weigh in appointment, which is another story, they noticed like, he didn't lose weight, but he just started to trend down a little bit. And I was like, hmm, interesting. They're like, has anything changed? Has he been unwell? I was like, no, he's been very healthy. The only thing I've done is like cut out cake and peanut butter toast. Like, <laughs> and they're like, oh, it will have nothing to do with that. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to eat it again and see what happens. And I did. And then at the next one, he'd been like back up on his normal sort of trajectory and I was like okay it must be this and then I spoke to I don't know the ABA or someone about something else and I just kind of mentioned oh hey is this like a thing and they were like oh no it's not like I was like okay maybe it was just a coincidence I'll start eating better again which I did and then the same thing happened and so I was like okay no just stop like just stop just keep eating the peanut butter and so (laughs) I continued eating the peanut butter and and it was fine. It's so, interesting. Yeah, yeah, then it's interesting. Yeah. To, yeah. Then I ran it by another lactation consultant. I don't know when he was eight months that I saw, um, not like that I saw, but that I happened to be in a room with. And I was like, yeah. "Oh, hey, do you know anything about this? And she's like, no, that's absolutely a thing. And I was like, okay, well, there you go. It is a thing. So yeah. for me, the second time, and it wasn't at all like that the first time, but yeah, the second time, very much dependent on how much I was eating and how much exercise I was doing. Like I wasn't even doing anything heavy. It was just big walks and that kind of thing, getting back into being more active. And I even had to stop doing that a lot, like every other day instead of every day sort of thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, it's really, and so individualized, isn't it? So yeah, there may not be any studies on this, but it's certainly anecdotal for not only just you, you know, the other girls have said this Mm. before, so it might be something in it. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, There you go. There you go. Yeah. And so before I finish up, obviously those stories, I think are really going to help the listeners. Before I finish up, I want to chat a little bit about your experience with working with clients postnatally and, mm-hmm. and how you think really, because I know that you really hone in on their well being in that fourth mm. trimester. And mm-hmm. there is such a drop with us, you know, in Australia in the, in the first three months, when we get to three months, it's kind of okay. But from zero to three months, there's a huge drop in breastfeeding rates. And do you have any, can you put, shed any light on that from your experience?
1: Yeah. With, It's interesting because I was thinking about this before. At this point, actually, most of my clients are second or third time mums. I have a couple of first mums coming up who haven't birthed yet. But um, they also have been natural term breastfeeders. So they've fed for like two or three years. And so they've been really confident. But I have, you know, through speaking with them and others about even their first experiences with their first babies, there's a few things that stand out, like consistent, support is one of them so getting so many mixed messages from different health professionals has been really challenging for some of them knowing you know everything from positioning and not getting comfortable which you know causes can cause nipple damage and then causes you to stop everything from that to tongue ties to postnatal depression or a really traumatic birth experience actually one of my clients I'm sure she won't mind me saying this but With her first two, she had very traumatic birth experiences and had a very hard time establishing breastfeeding. Continued to breastfeed for two or three years with each child, which is amazing, but had a really hard time establishing because of the way the birth went down and the hours afterwards of separation and and so forth. And so we know that birth and what happens in birth, it has the potential to have a huge impact on ability to successfully breastfeed and I think you would probably know more than me the up-to-date stats on is it 98 or 96 percent of Australian women that initiate breastfeeding yes yeah really good at. and then it drops off yeah so like the will is there but we're obviously not hitting the mark in terms of support whether that's postpartum at home or whether it's professional advice yeah or if it's mother's feeling depleted and moving on to other methods of feeding like there's just it's just so mixed but, yeah. but we know that birth has such a huge impact on that for both mum and for baby and we're not often explained the impacts of certain drugs that we have during yes. birth yep. on our ability to breastfeed or on baby's interest in breastfeeding and like those first 24 hours are just so crucial and if we've had a horrendous experience or baby is exhausted or drugged up or you know, of course it's going to be harder and we need more support. And so it's yeah. like, I feel like birthing people are just falling through the cracks really quickly in, in those, even in that first week. Yeah. And then as you know, from three months it drops even further and it, at six months it's what, like 15% yes, of it's, babies it's, that are still exclusively breastfed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we know from health outcomes, Aims and aspirations that that number needs to be a hell of a lot higher, and that's not from a this is how you should feed your baby it's simply from a we know how babies thrive and have the you know the most optimal outcomes in terms of immunity and and all those things and so it's yeah it's about how can we support breastfeeding breastfeeding people better to achieve those goals and to have a good experience in the meantime
0: Yeah, that's really good the way you've put it is that it's so like multifactorial and we Mm. just I don't even think we are near hitting the mark with a birth education and and starting in pregnancy and preparing the woman for Mm. what breastfeeding
1: really is and Yeah, because it's a new skill like in else like your whole baby is a new skill to learn. But (laughs) yeah, throwing women and people in the deep end in that 24 hours when they may have had a really hard birth experience or are exhausted. It's like, okay, how do I like learn this now that I've just run this huge marathon? and so yeah, that work is just so important, and yeah. there are some really great resources out there now to help prepare us in pregnancy, for breastfeeding, and understanding yeah. how it works and what we can do to optimize that you know in the months leading up to to breastfeeding.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. it's just getting it's getting the word out there. there's mm-hmm. there's so much emphasis on the birth and then which is really important. I completely agree. But yeah. As well as that, it needs to incorporate post the fourth trimester and how we're going to yep. successfully manage this baby at home. In all. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, Carly, thank you so much. I think that your personal experience, but also your professional experience and your history with your work, I think you really. You speak really well, and I think that the listeners are going to really get something out of this. So, thank you for taking the time out of this. Thank you so much
1: for having me. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, no, pleasure. And it was, you know, fun to retell their stories and, (laughs) and yeah, just to share. Like, I'm sure the listeners that you have and that are tuning in now are just, you know, there's just, you just can't get too many of these, you know, little bits of information that you'll store up in your mind and come out when you don't even realize you're going to need them. And so, I'm sure that everything you're putting out there is just preparing people to have a really supported experience and so thank you for you know there are lots of birth podcasts and what have you but yeah. breastfeeding podcast is amazing so yeah <laughs> you're doing great work
0: oh i hope so so thank you thank you thank you for listening to the podcast i really hope you got something out of it and at the very least made you feel not so alone in your breastfeeding journey Share it with a friend who you feel may benefit from it or leave a review on your podcast streaming app. The more this podcast is shared and reviewed, the more women can benefit from this because we need to talk about breastfeeding
1: more. Bye for now.